Hello and welcome to another episode of the TK Podcast. I am your host, Alex, and today we are talking about BAME terminology. Now, the term BAME has been around for maybe just over five or ten years now, and it's a term that we use to group a collection of ethnicities um, within the world. So today we're going to be focusing on why we use that term, where it came about, and how we're going to move forward, whether we're going to continue to use the term or not. Got two great individuals in Lucy and Sandra that's going to join us on the call. So, as you always do, grab a pen and a notepad and enjoy the TK podcast. We've got two guests on today um, to talk about a topic which I think is going to be very interesting, not just for listeners, but I think just for a wider discussion um, to have just just between us. Um, I've not been able to go and sit down and talk to my friends about this term. It's not something that we really use on a regular basis, but I do think it's something that needs to be highlighted because I do know that in some areas, it's something that they don't agree with. And in some areas, they, they sort of see it as, okay, great. We now have, we can just use this word whenever we're referring to a group or a type of people. Um, I'm hoping maybe some listeners might have guessed what we're talking about, but we're going to be talking about BAME um, today and the term and, and, and whether it's right to use it or wrong to use it. So we've got two guests today. Um, I normally would do the most amazing introductions for each of these individuals, but you, you know what? There's just so much that they can talk about for themselves. So I'm going to let them do their introductions themselves. So let's let's start with you, Lucy. Um, give an introduction to our listeners about who you are, what you do, um, and and yeah, just just maybe some interesting stuff. You as well. Yeah, sure. Um, hi to all the listeners and everyone who's watching on the different social media channels on YouTube, etc. As well. So my name is Lucy. I'm a project coordinator here at Softcat. Uh, I'm also one of the internal network leaders for the Ethnic and Cultural Diversity Network. I'm really excited to be here today recording the podcast and just in general sharing my experiences and observations and learnings through the past couple of years being part of um, the network within Softcat and just learning in general and going on that journey between that transition between the term and the utilization of BAME and moving on to better and just newer understandings of how we're supposed to um, refer to the groups of ethnic minority individuals and just in general, hopefully will be great to, to share my learnings today. Thanks, Lucy. Perfect. Yeah, thank you, Lucy. Um, and, and Sandra, if you could introduce yourself and, and maybe give a, a special fact as well. Let me put some, a little spin on this one. So I just want to say good morning to Alex, uh, Lucy and Anishka on this call and also to all of our listeners. Um, my name is Sandra Kerr. Um, I'm the Race Equality Director at Business in the Community and it's known as the Prince's Responsible Business Network. Um, we work with about 600 employers who really want to, you know, take action on people and planet. And my lead uh, campaign is uh, one of the big uh, outputs we have is a Race at Work Charter. So we have over 950 organizations going towards a thousand who have signed up to seven key commitments about including improving inclusion, race inclusion in the workplace. And I'm really kind of looking forward to having this conversation today because 
in 2017, uh, McGregor Smith, uh, there's a McGregor Smith review that was a government sponsored review into race in the workplace. And one of the actions was, can we have a guide to help people talk about race? Because one of the things I think Baroness McGregor Smith found was that people were not comfortable. So I wrote a, a guide in 2015, which 17, which I'm in the process of updating now. And I have some new evidence, which I'll be excited to drop on Excellent. this podcast, which we found through our research. So we pulled some people to find out what they want to record. So really looking forward to having this conversation because we don't want to shut down conversation. We want conversations to be had and we want people to feel comfortable or, you know, having those conversations as well. Precisely, precisely. Well said, well said. Um, Anushka, would you like to open up? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. So um, it's it's so nice to be on this podcast because I um, obviously work with Lucy, um, the wonderful Lucy, who does some amazing things at Softcat as part of her lead role. So I'm, um, uh, you know, kind of ho really hoping that organisations today get some practical kind of um, top tips and tricks into how we can kind of change the dialogue um, and not make it sound so scary. So I'm sure Lucy will be able to share later. And then Sandra, I've known for a few years, actually. So Softcat signed the Race at Work Charter about, I want to say about three years ago now. And um, that was also at the time of us launching our, our race network. Um, and we did actually launch it as the Bain Network back then. Um, and actually then a few, uh, about a year on, I kind of asked Sandra to give us some words of wisdom as we were launching T-Care. And she actually said, and I kind of hold, she held me to it, was there are not many IT organisations. I think there were probably a handful, actually. There are not many IT organisations who have actually signed the Race at Work Charter to commit to the pledge to commit to the pledge and the commitments that are highlighted on there so I'm really hopeful that off the back of this um, podcast as well there's a bit of a call to action to the listeners as well to to go out and sign the charter as well but um I'm absolutely uh, I, I think like the work that Sandra does in particular for um, the race at work charter is phenomenal the the research that they've produced over the years has really helped me when it comes to the conversation at Softcat as well um, data is king as it is as well so there's some really really good outputs so I'm sure Sandra you'll, you can plug the race at work charter throughout the conversation as well yeah 100%. So, yeah, yeah. So, I guess, I guess, um, I mean, like this is this is a real hot topic. Um, we it kind of goes in fits and spurts in the press as well. And I guess um, to to frame this, and and Sandra, you talked about the the McGregor review in 2017, but in in summer 22 in particular, the Prime Minister actually appointed the Commission on the Race and Ethnic Disparities to review the causes for race inequality in the UK. And in that report that was published a little bit later on in 2021, the Commission found that the aggregate term, like BAME, which is Black, Asian and Minority Ethnic, um, was just not, not useful anymore, just not, not helpful to anybody, and that it actually should just be dropped. Um, and actually, we should be focusing on understanding the disparities and outcomes for, other for all of the specific ethnic groups. Um, and I think like that might be a good idea just to start with Sandra in terms of your history and your knowledge when it comes to, you know, pro the proactive use of BAME initially and why it was used. Um, and also based on the work that you've done and the research that you've done in the past is kind of, I guess it's just been easy to use. No, absolutely. So thank you. 
for that. And I didn't pay Anushka for that plug. Um, <laughs> uh, um, but interesting. So this was a really a trip down kind of memory lane to kind of try and research. And I believe terminology around BAME came into being around 2009, 2010. Prior to that, it was BME. And I know this because between 1990 and 2003, I was at the cabinet office and I remember we used to use the term BME, BME, and we used to use the term ethnic minority. And I remember talking to employers at the time when, you know, BAME started to emerge and I was like, mm, why are we changing this? And actually the vision behind it was to try and be more inclusive. So it said, you know, BME was black and ethnic minority ethnic, and it was thought about let's include Asian people as well. So um, that's where the term, and then later on, I remember hearing the term BAMER with an R on the end. And I'm like, hello, yeah, where are we this? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I thought, I'm not, as a matter of principle, I'm stopping at B-A-M-E. You know, I thought, no, I just can't. It made me chuckle when I saw the term BAMER. But, you know, some public, mostly um, the wider public sector, I think, yeah, yeah. embrace that terminology. And um, it kind of became a term that I started to use because when we ran our race at work survey in 2015, because terminology has always been the under thread of everything. So our campaign existed in 1995. I started working in 20, um, 2004. And I can say, as far as the head of the campaign, it's always been that kind of under what terminology shall we use? Is it okay to use black? Is it okay to say, you know, what, what should we use? So it's always been an, an undercurrent. So I, when I included the question in the survey in 2015, the results were that actually ethnic minority, BAME was second, then came BME, and then a really trailing behind was people of color. So, because I wanted to test this, but more importantly, one in three people said they don't really mind. You know, people were saying, can we just move things along? Can we not get bogged down with gender? Um, not, not, with, with, sorry, terminology. And let's take some action. So mm -hmm. that was really, really interesting. And that's why, as I say, when I wrote the booklet that I wrote, based on that evidence, I actually did set out clearly why I'm picking BAME. I said, look, you could pick BME, you could put ethnic mm -hmm. minority. I'm just picking one based on evidence. But bear in mind that one in three people don't really care. They're like, can we move this along? And another third don't like any of this terminology. So, and I would probably, my... Not, not a gambling woman, but I would probably think that it probably begun somewhere in some government organization yeah. because they wanted to just, you know, lump everything together, really. Mm. It's a quick way of yeah. summarizing, but yeah. trying to be inclusive while they were doing it. Yeah. And wow. actually, I mean, like all the reporting, and I mean, like it is, it's kind of like, what can be easy for government to write reports on or how Absolutely. can it be really easy to analyze and assess data and trends and i kind of know um based on my role when i'm having to write reports internally and you're having to monitor what the data looks like um you know you you do just naturally tend to group where you can because it makes yeah. your data analysis easier but in this context it's gone it's gone a bit too far is what it what it sounds like yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm keen to know, because you mentioned a lot around, or it seemed like there was a lot of focus around terminology at the time. Why, why, why was it such a big, big thing? Why did we have to 
why was this they're just a focus on we have to group these individuals together was it because there wasn't enough of a spotlight um on them individually and and there needed to be a way to put them all together or, or was it some other i mean i think behind it is probably a mixture of a lack of robust data or okay. just a feeling a perception that you know lump one size fits all which yeah. we know is not the case which is why the de-aggregation of data is so important. So, you know, if they found, well, everyone's kind of got this problem in some level and, and some, to some degree, so let's just say them all, you know, let's lump it together. Yeah. And I think what's happened is the conversation is now people are like, no, can we examine? Because if we use the term Asian, there's a lot of people behind that. If we use the term black, there's, you know, millions you know, behind these terminologies let's not lump it all together let's listen understand let's look at the evidence and decide action which might be different because the data shows you actually certain groups may have more of a challenge here than others so why would we just apply one solution to everything everything yeah yeah and then even thinking about it on the global scale i don't think it's a term that's used globally or i mean i've got quite a low level of education in that space. Um, but I'm, I'm keen to bring you in, Lucy, just to see what your views are on, on the term of BAME as well um, and, and why you may think it's a good thing or a bad thing. Because, um, yeah, I think it's just, it's always sat with me that when I heard the term, I was like, mm, not really a huge fan of it. It just, it, it's never good to try and group individuals together like that. Um, but. I don't know, let's just go with it for the sake of the fact that this is what we use now and, and, and people seem to be happy with that and, and not really making too much noise, but maybe that's not the case. Maybe it was just the communities I was in at the time. So yeah, I'm, I'm keen to know what you think, Sal, Lucy. Yeah, definitely. I think personally, I'm quite similar to you, Alex. When it comes to the particular BAME terminology, for me, I'm almost at the neutral point of you know, I don't personally really like to be referred as a BAME individual, but at the same time, I don't really know what other terminologies or words that can be used in replacement. And I think that might just be part of the problem that we're trying to find a replacement for another catch-all word. And it doesn't really happen like that. And I think a lot of the communities and, and friends and families and colleagues, when they are talking about the term BAME, their main issue is that it diminishes that unique differences between all the ethnic minorities as well. It doesn't really just go, okay, so sure, you are part of a, an ethnic minority because you're Asian, because you're Black, but then suddenly, if you're neither, you're just ethnic minority, sort yeah. of tagging along at the back. There are sort of other groups of people that we don't usually consider as minorities as well, um, like the Irish heritage groups um, and, and just in general mixed race people as well. They don't tend to just fall into one particular category. You know, I can't really speak from experience, but I think when I speak to my mixed race colleagues and friends, they usually quite struggle with belonging in one particular set of community, never mind when that term comes along and it sort of just merges everyone into one and it doesn't really differentiate or appreciate the individuality between each of the culture and heritage and things like that. Um, and even when it comes to other terms as well, Sandra mentioned um, people of color before, I think in general, 
just through sort of media and entertainment, it's a very popular term to be referred to as in the US or North America. I've not really heard too many people referring to um, people of color in the UK. And I think that's also the kind of terminology differences between US and um, UK when it comes to just describing ethnic minorities in general, and even the term Asian as well. In the UK, it generally refers to South Asian. So people from Indian culture, Pakistani culture, people who are from Sri Lanka, whereas in the US, Asian in general as a term is referring to more of a East and Southeast Asian cultures, Chinese, Korean, Filipinos. So that's kind of also a disparity as well. It depends on where you are globally. And for a lot of the companies out there, I think it may present a slight challenge in terms of how to, you know, refer to your employees to not be on the side of suddenly, oh my God, I'm offending someone because I'm referring to them as a different term to my own actually original understanding and things like that. So I think that's like another thing to be considered um, about just in generally when it comes to terminology. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting because I mean, even I remember when Softcat did our ethnic employee survey just to kind of really get an understanding and appreciation of what ethnic backgrounds all our employees came from. Um, it was really hard to, you kind of have to find a balance because you don't want the drop down menu of all the different options to be, I don't know, 30, 40. And, um, you know, kind of we use the government standards to try and get the grouping of 10. And even then we had some feedback. Whilst we got some really good responses from all of our employees, we got a 95% response rate. There were some people who were like, oh, do you know, where do I fit in this? I've just put myself as other. And even that kind of made it feel unfair at the time because you're like oh, okay now now you're 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 just regarding yourself as another ethnic and i've not actually considered exactly where you are from so yeah well well put there um i want you mentioned about government standards that you use nush um and i'm keen to kind of open this out to both sandra and lucy is is that the best way we should be referring to groups, the one that's the government standards, or is there a different viewpoint that each one of you have on how we should be referring to particular individuals? I mean, when I, for example, if I meet someone new and I'm having a conversation um, with them and I can't identify where they're from, clearly I, I like to ask the question of what's their heritage, where what's that journey that their family's been on, and then that helps deliver a way for me to go okay this person probably most fits this type of um cultural background um and that kind of works in conversation but when it comes to if i'm filling out a form for example it's for a job and they've said oh we want you to put whatever type of um, race that you're from i can understand that being quite difficult so i'm wondering how you kind of meet those two scenarios. One, if you're having a conversation um, with a person and the other being if you're a business and you're just trying to source this information. Well, I'm happy to jump in here. So I think when you're talking to someone, because I really am for having conversations and I always say, why don't you share where you're from? What's your heritage first? And also share why this information would be useful because sometimes it's part of your role. It can inform that conversation or you're just curious. And I think with more and more people doing ancestry and all sorts of different uh, things, it's just going to, people are going to become more and more curious. So I'm always for open a conversation, share your own background, because it can help 
avoid that where do you come from where do you really come from question if you say rather than saying i come from clapton junction you actually say actually my parents and mine happened to be from the caribbean they came from jamaica i was born here um and you know i have family who are dispersed in different parts of the world that sets the conversation when i say to you so tell me about your background it sets the tone because i've already told you my background so i think that's really important and then i think as far as um organizations are concerned use the census data and the census categories because that enables you to benchmark your progress against what does the local demographic look like what should the the younger population looking for work in the area that you're recruiting from look like it enables you to actually set targets and think you know what this is what it should look like if we put out an advert based on what we know as far as all the young unemployed people we should have x percent from you know the different groups and it enables you to track what you look like as a workplace against that mm -hmm. so there's some real clear rationale for using the census categories and some people might say they don't go far enough but they are what we have mm -hmm. and they are of some use because yes despite big buckets it's better than just a hodgepodge of not knowing or making up new things yeah. that you cannot track progress yeah yeah actually sorry alex just to point no, out I... here as well is like ethnicity pay gap reporting as an example is still not a mandatory government requirement even though it's gotten to that level and it's and it's not not it's still not become a mandatory requirement but there are a lot of organizations who are looking to produce this data and sometimes that is such a great starting point because it can be really sensitive when you're asking people for you know their background and you know like their, their ethnicity it, it can be really difficult so that dialogue needs to be um you know a for the right reasons because you're not doing it for a tick box exercise but you're doing it because you really do want to understand the demographics so you can cre create interventions and initiatives in your organization but a lot of companies that we work with alex as part of t-care just actually don't know where to start so sandra talking about the census categories is a really is a, a top tip there i think yeah, yeah and, and also remembering that everyone knows if you say census we all know what those are because we've had to fill it out at some point so yeah yeah I, I guess i guess to challenge that do we do we believe that what is on the census forms is correct do we feel like they're, they're giving us the best options i know obviously we get all of the statistics around what it looks like locally for our area but is is that sort of like that can be difficult for some areas right like in london it's so multi like multicultural in various different regions whether in, you're in north south east or west how how is how are we able to use that in in an organization and be sure that we're covering all of the bases so full disclosure in 2001 i was working at the cabinet office from um, just before that period and i helped to put that form together that we're now using Wow. I, I flew to Scotland, to Wales, to Ireland, you know, I spoke to people, of course, London, and to think about what could we use to, um, and, and, and things that came up that always come up about Jewish, uh, about Sikh, you know, those things didn't make it to the final draft. I mean, of course, I didn't write it myself, but I'm saying I was a big part of the team mm -hmm. and went around the, the country having conversations with people who are black and in Scotland and people who are Asian in Scotland saying, what should we use? And I remember there were certain people, particularly because of the mixture in their heritage, it was never going to be perfect. Mm. But part of it is having that conversation to say, 
actually this is better than nothing. It helps us to start moving the dial on the conversation. And I would say just like the, and, and the challenge is if you then uproot it and change it, it's hard to track progress. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that it should be cast in stone and stuck like this forever. I think just like we're having a conversation today to say BAME is now out, <laughs> whereas it was okay 10 years ago. Yeah. There may be a day where we say, you know what, actually the, the, the demographic data, the census shows us some population. So this time, I think the other group is the one that's grown the most as far yeah. as demographic group. So there may be some work that needs to, to be done to look within that other group, because I think they had a write-in box to see, are there ones that are really growing that we might have to add another category? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, just be, before we start to talk about kind of new terminology and what's best for companies, I thought it might be a good, good idea just to ask Lucy about um, our naming convention at Softcat. So we when we first launched our internal employee resource group we did call it the BAME network and Lucy I wonder if you can just share um your experience as a network lead of like kind of how that naming convention was decided and where we're at now yeah definitely so the previously named BAME network essentially started at the back of the BLM movement and at the beginning we did try to play on that acronym a little bit and calling it the belonging in a multicultural environment network but I think because it's such a long terminology a lot of the time people just straight up referring to the BAME network you know to all the new starters to people who didn't really hear about the network before and because of how BAME is interpreted in society, everyone just automatically assumed that it is to do with Black, Asian and ethnic minority as a term in general. And a lot of the network members sort of just thought, why don't we just say what's on the tin? We should just call it the BAME network. It saves us a lot of time trying to explain the full name and everything else. So that's sort of how we decided on that particular um, name. And for about two two and a half years that's the name that we sort of stuck with um until as as Nush mentioned before the the commission on race report was released and then we slowly decided to take that as a open house discussion topic to the rest of the network for members and allies to talk about what does this term mean to you do you think we should change it as a network as a company what are your thoughts and we actually went through the conversation multiple times within a year's sort of time frame, with the first time being sort of 50-50. Um, a lot of people voted, no, we don't really need to change it because it's it doesn't really bother this group of people. It, it says what it says on the tin and there isn't really an alternative term that they would prefer more than the term BAME. And then the other 50% are essentially saying, if the government is saying that this particular term is out of date, then surely as a society, we should already be putting that way behind us and finding new terminologies to be more inclusive for that diverse ethnicity that we have in the UK as well. So at that moment in time, because it was a 50-50 split, we decided to just let time go pass by and see if that conversation would potentially change into either of the directions. 
and I think it was 2021's Black History Month where we invited quite a few different speakers to talk about different aspects of Black history. And I remember one of them being um, former professional football player and um, an advocate for the um, just in general sort of stop racism in sports sort of category. I think um, Luther uh, Blissett, um, who briefly mentioned about his thoughts on um, fame as a terminology. And I think a lot of the, the listeners and watchers of that particular um, talk from Softcat really took that term on in terms of, oh, you know, people outside of Softcat also have this general consensus that the term is very out of date. And a lot of people don't really agree with being referred to as this group this group of many sort of different ethnicities and so on and so forth. So that prompted a second sort of voting between the network members and just allies at Softcat in terms of what does this term mean to you? And at the end of it, it's very much a swaying shift towards that we do need to change because the industry is changing, the terminology is changing. And if we don't change it, we may end up offending more people than originally no one really had that much of a thought on this. Yeah kind of thing and then that's the moment we decided to go through that process of changing the terminology changing the network name and I think in July this year we've have officially sort of made that official and even the the new network name as well it's called the ethnic and cultural diversity um, network that was a combination of the last sort of most votes um, kind of names as well because it was sort of swaying between culture um, and also ethnicity so we thought let's merge it together um, and for the ease of things we sort of shorten it to the EC network rather than the long name as well. I think the point the point here as well is that um, you have to listen to your people um, and I'm sure Sandra you might be able to share some light on other organizations that you work with and how they've kind of decided to change or not change but for us that bit was really important and I remember the the network coming to talk to us a uh, well about a year before the naming convention changing and we kind of just brought it to the table to say look what are your thoughts what do you think and um we just kind of just put it out there didn't we just slowly but we had to kind of listen to people around us and kind of do it for the people as opposed to what was best for us as a company if that makes sense yeah no exactly. i agree with you Anisha, what i said to employers at the time is listen to your employees talk to your network ask them what terminology they need because yeah. they're your your main stakeholders and whatever they pick go with that because it is not straightforward everybody doesn't like every term so yep. go with what your employees and your people like because they're your main stakeholders because you only really let's be honest we only need to think about terminology if we're going to do a public presentation if we're going to write about it and i used to always make this joke when i do presentations who's going to say none of them are going to say oh we went to this workshop and this fame woman sandra was there she was really great i mean please nobody is going to say that if they were to describe me they'll say i'm black but they would never say that i was bane you know yeah. and everybody always chuckles because they realize yeah, yeah. that is ridiculous mm. <laughs> i don't i don't even think like i classify i don't know if i've ever just maybe think like i don't think i actually go i'm bane i don't you know like i know i fall in the bane category <laughs> but you know i don't go out you know like i'll just go i'm indian because that's what i am yeah. but i don't ever say i'm bane <laughs> I'll say Isn't I actually more often than not say I'm an ethnic minority or I'm an ethnic employee. Yeah, I think it's ever since I heard the term, it, it almost didn't make sense to me. 
um, even the fact that it's black and then afterwards I'm like why what what are we doing that for what's the what's the purpose right when like you, that's why I asked the question before like how do you introduce yourself or ask someone where they come from on the street versus in the organizations because I feel like those things should be mutually exclusive they should basically be the same we shouldn't be making it as complex as as what it seems to be at the moment um we're all different in different ways and you've got people who are mixed and you've got people whose heritage might have gone on a crazy journey um but i think it's just about giving everyone a comfortable platform to be able to actually say this is this is where i'm from so I guess like you said, Sandra, about if you're doing a presentation and you, and someone does make a comment to say who you are, where you're from, I'm sure you've probably given that in, inclination or given that, share that information to say, look, this is, this is my heritage, this is where I'm from, this is what I identify as, please use this going forward. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's what it's about, right? The government can, we can look at all the statistics and someone in Scotland said this and someone said that, but it's about people, right? And yeah. people want to have relationships with people. And the best way to do that is to just understand them as best. Um, yeah. But I also think, I mean, it's only after the initial conversation with a person, once you get to know them, they're not going to say, hello, I'm going to meet Fame Sandra again, or I'm going to meet Fame <laughs> Sandra. You know, you're not, because we already know each other. So it's yeah. just curiosity at the beginning and understanding and you know let's be honest if you really want to be technical even black people aren't actually black they're brown you know but we know what we mean we, you, we're yeah. going with it because it means there's some ancestry from africa and that part of the world you know let's just go with that because we know what yeah. we're trying to achieve but as i say once you get past the initial once you get to know people and that's why i'm a real big advocate of two-way mentoring mutual yeah. mentoring where people mentor people from different backgrounds and obviously the leader then who may be from a white background gets to understand a bit more of the nuances and the challenges mm -hmm. and realize that there really are challenges even though they may not have experienced them and then the person from maybe a diverse background who hasn't maybe had some of the opportunities the networks don't understand how the system works within the organization can get that benefit of that kind of nuanced uh, connectivity. And once you build rapport, then you can actually talk more and just understand mm. more yeah. about the lived yeah. experience and realize it is different. And it's not a card when people want to call a race card. No, it's my life. You know, it is what it is. It's not. Yeah. Um, can I just drop a stat that I always use when I try to talk about this is we asked a question in our survey about uh, what do you think would be a career blocker? And 33% of black people say their ethnicity 23% of Asian people say their ethnicity and only 1% of white people say their ethnicity. So if you think about those completely wow. different experiences, so therefore conversation is going to be interesting and that's why there may be a perception, no, there's nothing wrong, what's the problem? Because it's yeah. not in their views, mm -hmm. in their experience. So that's yeah. something that I always say, you've got to listen to understand and realize that you know, some of these experiences are experience. It might be outside of yours, but that's the yeah. point of talking together to understand a bit more. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and just to um, just to show our listeners as well, in case this is their first episode that they're listening to, we do have an, we've done a great episode with um, Kirk and Christina, which is talking about diversity mentoring, which I think is what you was kind of referring to, Sandra, where we had someone who may be a white senior leader who was someone who might be a mid-level Asian person and they were mentoring each other in sort of the 
both those directions. Really great discussion that we had with them. And I, I, it's definitely something that at Software One we're looking into um, just to try and build a more, build more chemistry within the business. I think that's, that's the main thing about it. And also it's allowing people to get more educated on things that they normally don't come across. Um, I think, I think I can't remember a hundred percent, but I think Kirk mentioned that he had a conversation about food with the person that he was with and like just the type of foods he has and something small like that, um, can go a long way, um, in terms of someone then going to meet someone from Kirk's background who, um, is from the Caribbean and then being able to understand, oh, this food is this, so okay, this might get paired with that. All of a sudden there's a relationship that can yeah. be built on something that's, that's so minute, um, when you really think about it. Um, Absolutely. When I think about my history, you know, long before these things had a title, I remember having these kind of relationships with leaders. And actually, if you build a rapport, sometimes those leaders later become your sponsors. The people who will talk about you well behind your back, open doors and opportunities as you navigate life and they come across the project and they think, oh, I remember talking to Sandra about this, you know, and you get those connectivities. So really big advocate of that two-way mentoring that two-way conversation rapport building to build network yeah. grow understanding on both sides and actually benefit both sides mm. often yeah. in the long run Lu lucy how have you heard how have you seen this work at softcat then as well i mean you know sandra's talking about the connection and the people and it's really nice to get to know people i can kind of give some light on the practicalities of reporting and stuff but for you as an ec lead how have you seen um the dialogue evolving and getting to know people connecting mm -hmm. yeah um so for the ec network actually whenever we get a new member whether they are a core member so people who are of ethnic minorities or who are allies joining the network we usually have a welcome call that's like 10 15 minutes just to sort of speak to them about who they are not necessarily about what job they do at softcat but you know why they've prompted to join um a particular network as well i know not all the companies out there have this kind of DNI practice. And it's just really interesting at the beginning to see that person as an individual and know about their culture, their, their heritage. And in general, I think a lot of the conversation on terminologies or how to refer to another person's ethnicity usually come from allies. And I remember at the beginning, a lot of allies are quite reluctant to join the then BAME network mainly because they were sort of thinking like, oh, do I belong there? Do I have to fit in the, the category to be in this group? Can I still join and learn about different sort of aspects and uh, of different cultures and things like that? And once we have sort of reassured them that this is an open and safe space for you to ask questions and, you know, a lot of the conversations that I think we have nowadays, especially just between people, whether that is virtually, you know, on teams or just face to face, intention is really important. No one's really going to take offense if your intention is very sincere and very respectful. And that, like Sandra says, open up that conversation yeah. about exactly, you know, like, oh, it will be so interesting if you are saying you're from this particular culture and heritage, I can find things from my life experience that's kind of relatable to that. And we can have a general conversation just about who you are, who I am, and we can sort of exchange that information as well. And that builds on that relationship before the next time you need to speak to this person mm -hmm. about anything sort of businessy or sort of like intercompany relationship wise as well. Um, and for a lot of the 
sort of ethnic minorities within Softcat as well, they find it really interesting because I think with a lot of other DNI initiatives, it's very much of a we're all in this one single group and then the other ones are, you know, the white ones are like the outside of this group. Whereas in EC network, it's very much of a, even within different ethnic minorities, we still have so much to learn from each other. And it's just generally quite interesting. I remember one of the sessions between um, a lot of the, the members from the network, they were just talking about how their parents and their expectations on them and the similarities between the black community and the Asian community. And just in general, like, oh, we all have the same parent types, <laughs> even though we're from different cultures. And that's something that's quite relatable from a lot of the ethnic minorities as well. Yeah, yeah. And we always use that kind of tag, don't we, as part of our allyship program, which is um, always try and get to know the person behind the job title um, because there is a human being, someone who's got lived experiences. And, you know, that's something that we've really bedded in as part of that program. So that's really important. And then also, I think the other things, other thing, sometimes you find out, you know, you both have cats, you both like shopping, <laughs> the ho- holiday destination is the same. You know, it's that type of thing as well, well that you realise actually a lot in common with people. And one of the things I always say often when I talk about these sessions is, I always say blood and oxygen. Everybody's blood is red and we all need air to breathe. Mm. So can we always have that context, please? You know, as we're having these conversations, we're humans and in the essential, you know, when you really shake it down to the bottom line, very similar Mm. as far as red blood and needing oxygen to survive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've loved how we've talked about the, um, you know, the human being and kind of understanding of the dialogue and the connection. That's really important. Thought um, it might be worthwhile just talking a bit more about the practicalities as well for organisations. So we can't, we, you know, we know that um, very similar to to the gender agenda where we've tried to make sure there are more, you know, we're, we're leading and we're ensuring that women can get to the top as well. Um, the initiatives are very, very similar for ethnicity as well. And even at Softcap, the data really helps us. So whilst, you know, we've now, our terminology is different for that group. We call them our ethnic employees. Our reporting is very much around ethnic employees. We also know that we don't have enough people at management level and leadership level as well going into those roles from ethnic backgrounds and there's a whole heap of work that we really need to do there in terms of understanding that demographic um sandra in in terms of the companies that you've worked with what other research can you share or what can you share from your experiences with um companies who also might be using that data practically Mm. so can i just jump in here because i do need to you know challenge something that you've said here about ethnic employees Everybody has an ethnicity, including yeah, white right, people. Yeah. And the reason why this is a term about ethnic minority, ethnic majority, mm. white majority, you know, this is where that terminology yeah. comes that's from. Fair, yeah. And that's why some people hate even the term ethnic minority because mm. they say global majority. You know, this is where that comes mm. from. So I think what matters is, number one, everyone's got an ethnicity. So that's why it's figuring out. I actually have started to use ethnically diverse because I think actually... We get rid of the minority word yeah. and look at spectrum, whatever that may be. Mm. And I think what matters with um, for employers is granulating the insights. So, for example, one of the big ones is you talked about it initially is ethnicity pay gap reporting. So if you choose to publicize, you might not have the numbers to be able to say, 
our black employees, ex from Caribbean background or the ones from an African background, yeah. our um, Asian people from Bangladesh or whatever. But what you can do is know what that narrative is, know that the disparities exist and have the conversations and build conversation yeah. into your plans, strategies, making it comfortable, making it okay by saying we must have the conversation, we must look at the granularity to understand where the disparities exist and it's back to where we were at the beginning so we can make sure everyone's getting the right pay, performance, opportunities, um, and we're actually reflecting the demographic of the UK as it changes, uh, you know, travel to work population, the talent that's available in the organisation. Yeah. So the, you know, the good employers are really looking at where they might not publicly share the uh, numbers. They do actively look at not only for pay and um, reward, look at survey results as well. Yeah. By yep. granular, you know, is everybody happy um, looking at recruitment by different group as well to ensure at attraction stage, does that go mm. through right to recruitment? And I would say, you know, the ones who are always actively doing these things would always be the professional firms. They're the first out of the gate, publish their pay gaps, make sure they're monitoring, uh, really kind of looking at data and reward. They would always be the first ones. But as I say, in the charter, there's almost, you know, we're moving quickly and the first question that signatories and potential always say, well, we need to get our data sorted out. So that's a, a growing area where yep. employers are working on it. And they'd all say you can't get that data overnight. But once you get it, you can use it to start to mm. examine what's going on in the workplace. Yeah, yeah. And that that's a, a a really good point because that is actually how we use the data internally as well is not just for the pay gap report because we've committed to doing that year in year and out with we'll be producing the third one now it goes out next week. Um, the other bit is actually around the employee engagement. So I look after that area at Softcat and it's um, being able to kind of look and analyse the trends again when it year in year out on the experience that. Um, people from a white background compared to ethnic backgrounds kind of how does that compare and contrast and actually it's really refreshing when you see um, that the employee engagement scores actually increasing due to some of the initiatives and the interventions that we've created as well so I'm like really pleased that we can do that because we have that demographic data. Um, I've, um, I've got a question I guess about that because that's quite interesting to me around employee engagement and that increasing and increasing around different well all cues of ethnicities um yeah. what for businesses out there what do you think is the keyest the key part of that that's helped with that i know you said you've built groups and stuff like that but there, there's got to be people who want to be involved in wanting to do those things and even me thinking about it from a small business standpoint you might be two of 50 or two of 100 right um, and it might be a little bit more difficult to have that infrastructure behind you to say, okay, let's go and make these groups that are going to be supportive of you. Um, and maybe you don't have that personality to be that maybe extroverted enough in the business to say, we need to do this, let's go and do more, let's go go and be better in this space. Um, so I'm keen to know what maybe might be the top three um, sort of ideas that you decide to go ahead with to say, you know what, this is what's going to help us at least take a step forward in, in the direction that we want to. I mean, I, I would jump in. So I would say, first of all, so, and you know, by signing the Race at Work Charter, you commit 
to have a senior leader at the top table who's going to take a leadership position on this and ensure that action is addressed, that the, the voices of employers get to the top table. The second thing I would say is look how you can form a kind of an advisory group with different people to support that person who can make sure the voices are heard. It's a place to, and using, for example, if you look at your employee survey and you think, when we cut it, are we you know, feeling valued? Certain groups are less likely to say that they're valued. Then you would kind of convene a listening group to hear directly, talk to the employers and say, curiously and say, this has come out in our survey. Can you help us understand what some of these things would be? And I would know without checking, basically, some of the things worth investigating because of our race at work survey trends, one of the very consistent trends when we've asked the whole collective group of black, Asian, mixed race, ethnically diverse people, and we've done it in 2015, 2018, and 2021, we asked, is progression important to you? 70% say yes. Very consistent. And then when we ask the question, would you be prepared to do some kind of fast track? You know, you're prepared to do the work. Around 45, 43, 40% will say yes. So you can always start there around progression. Mm -hmm. And also when we've dug through the data, people from these different backgrounds are more likely to have gone and get the, the degrees, the PhDs or whatever, but it doesn't translate to progression. And I think that's why that desire to progress yeah. is. Do you, do, you think, do you think that's that, that's that, do you think that's connected to the, the term that I've always heard that I have to work twice as harder? Do you think that's why the stats come in like that because it's sort of been embedded from parents and yeah, parents yeah. before that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I mean, I, I would say I wish it wasn't true. My experience is it is true, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that element of I'd like to say, oh, no, no, just work smarter. I've been on the course about working smarter and I've done smart. And, and what I'm saying, I'm, I've, you know, become successful and I'm grateful for that, but I've had to work hard mm. and I have to have to have done things multiple times this is normal and there was a report that um uh, running me trust and Fawcett society put out recently called broken ladders they talked to over 2,000 women from different ethnic backgrounds and the messages sounded so familiar and that was one of them about having to repeat things and yeah. when you go you've done it you do what your line manager says and then they say you don't have enough experience or you need to demonstrate again and you think but well, i did that you know yeah, yeah. so that part of the journey um and i don't think that report was published may this year so yeah wow. really fresh well, what do you what do you um get to hear about lucy do you feel like this is um the same sentiments are there within our networks i think it does depends um like alex mentioned before it really does depends on the business size and the yeah. employee group size as well who do you know fall under the ethnic minority side I've spoken with a couple of sort of business DNI leaders previously, and I think for some of the businesses, they decided to go into the approach of having a particular ethnic ethnicity sort of minority group together. So they will have a black ethnic uh, group, an Asian one, and then another one for like Southeast Asian one or a different one that sort of went into a particular race or category in that kind of mm. um, mindset rather than saying here's one group of people and you can be all ethnic minorities and yeah. be as diverse as you can kind of thing um 
I think it's really important for that sort of messaging from senior leaders to its employees in, in terms of, you know, we're not trying to group you all together because we think you're the other ones. Um, we're here to support you. There are sort of different levels of support that senior leaders could advocate for its employees as well. And I think in this day and age, we do tend to see the sort of more foundation and level of employees being more ethnically diverse rather than more sort of middle management yeah. and senior management as well. And with that is very much like Sandra said, it's a trickle down messaging from the top. And that's when your employees could feel you do value me, you do mm. value my contribution. And that's not just on the work that I do, but overall as a person, what I'm contributing to the diversity in terms of all the innovation that I, I bring to the company as well. Um, but it is very much of a, if you see the change and if you see role models um, and whether or not that is you know, of your ethnicity or is an ally, it's quite visible to the more sort of starting point employees like recent graduates or apprentices, they can see that visible change and it will be yeah. much more of a motivation for them to become that role model. And I think someone has to start somewhere. If you yeah. can't see that role model, you kind of have to make the changes and suppose, yeah. you know, make that ambition to be that role model. And then you can be that aspiration for others as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, I always find it a little bit cringe, but I mean, like I look, I, I talk to all the new staffs when they join Softcat A because, uh, you know, I want to make sure I'm bedding in the company culture and, talk, you know, talking to them about how we've got to where we are. But and, and all, but more importantly, talking about the inclusion and how actually the responsibility of creating an inclusive culture is down to every employee at Softcat, not just me because it's in my title, but everyone. And um the amount uh, do get a lot of messages from new ethnic employees who kind of highlight that actually it's really refreshing to see um, somebody on the leadership team who's from ethnic backgrounds and I'm you like you wouldn't you wouldn't there's like 20 something of us on the leadership team but if I'm the only ethnic person that they can see yes I do have to role model and I do have that opportunity to to do my bit but you wouldn't you don't normally hear someone going up to a white leadership person do you and go oh you know, you're the only white person in the, <laughs> on the leadership team. So, it, like I, when I say I find it cringe, I find it I find it a little bit embarrassing. I think sometimes, but then I have to balance it out by going, okay, do you know what? We're role modelling, and this is a good opportunity for them to see that you can get to that level. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, productions actually put a question in the chat that I think might be worth um, just sharing with you guys. I'm just going to read it out. Um, They've asked, does multiple ethnic grouping perpetuate the division between everyone? Well, interesting. Um, I, I, um, I think, I don't, I'm not sure about this question, what it means, but one of the things I'll just say what I've found, the recent census, the other ethnic group is one of the fastest growing groups. Yeah. And from our survey, so I thought, let me look through our survey. Remember, I told you we asked the question about what do you want to be called? And they like, they're more likely, I'm thinking 30% said, call us the other ethnic group. So yeah. it's interesting. So, I mean, just a quick summary, I'll give you a preview of what I'm updating the booklet to say. We found when it came down to black, I mean, in, in shorter summary, like I said, black people from either Caribbean or African background were more likely to say, just call me black. It was like 76% yeah. 
from the Caribbean background said, you know, call me black. Mm. Um, I think it was 67% from the black African background. And then the Asian background, it was um, different by like, if you're Indian, Pakistani, Bangladesh, you know, do you want to be called Asian? Um, mixed group, group were like half, where 49% said, call me mixed race. 29% said, call me mixed heritage. So, you know, a bit of a mixture, but the other ethnic group, or, you know, that's really surprised me. They were like, call me the other ethnic group, you know? But I suppose people, it's back to, I think Lucy talked about, talking, you say what it says on the tin, can we just like get as close to that only for public discourse? Yeah. But I think this is about people and their identities, who they are. Behind the label is a family, family members, dispersed family abroad roots that they might not have even visited those countries but it may be in their list to do that and i think that's what we need to be aware of we're really dealing with human beings and yeah. you know, there's the clustering for dialogue and for writing reports yeah but actually see each person as a, an individual and also i think the other thing i say is when you talk to somebody don't believe that they're talking for the don't let them feel like they have to talk for everybody from that background <laughs> only talking for themselves mm. Make every conversation fresh. You can say, oh, I heard, you know, someone said, is that true for you? And they say, oh, no, no, that was just him. So I think that, oh, that's her. So I think it's that bit. Remember, we're talking to individuals. And that would be yeah. my last, you know, final word. If you ask me, what would I say? That would be my bit. Remember, we're yeah. talking to individuals. That's, that's, that's a bit right, like, yeah. a, like a plantain or plantain conversation, right? <laughs> yeah. That's a Caribbean food for those who don't know what. Yeah, it's a it's a common it's a, it's a common one that comes up in conversation. <laughs> it is it is. Did you have anything you wanted to add, Lucy? No, I was just totally agreeing um, with Sandra. I think it's very much the sentiment of it, it's not a you versus me situation. It's not a black versus Asian, and then all the other I think minorities group together and sort of like fight each other. It's not that kind of scenario and I think when it comes to racial equality as well it's one of those that we're all striving just for equity equality yeah. we we want to be able to live in an environment and work in an environment where it is fair for for all of us rather than you know favoring one or the other and like I mentioned before a lot of the a lot of the time we can actually find similarities between different ethnic minority backgrounds between us as human beings yeah. as well and that's the sort of i suppose takeaways that we could um take with with all the listeners and us as individuals as well it's even when it comes to social movements it's not just black people that's supporting black lives matter movement the stop agent hate movement isn't just all agents supporting that we all should be behind each other when it comes to this kind of like yeah. journey to improve you know social justice and just overall be supportive and happy for each other's growth as human beings as different you know ethnic minorities we should all just shout about the good things um as well well at the same time not really saying like oh you know if this bit is you know if this person from an ethnic minority background has done this we should stereotype everyone and and yeah. that is the the kind of messaging i suppose um I, I really hope everyone could take away that we're just there to you know support each other and really cheer each other on no matter what ethnicity that you're from yeah absolutely wise words to end on i think there alex yeah no i agree I, i've just seen i had to close it up on that oh, here we go i always want these to be an extra hour or so but <laughs> 
uh, we, we will try and keep the information as short and sweet as possible so that it can it, it can be delivered in the best way possible. Um, I'm wondering final thoughts from yourself, Sandra, um, and yourself, Lucy. I think Lucy kind of tied that up quite well um, just before. But yeah, Sandra, is there anything that you wanted to deliver um, and all I would say, I mean, my final thoughts is, is back to something I already said in this podcast about blood and oxygen. We are all humans that we mm. have in common. And if we let that, un that undercurrent underpin our conversations, I think we'll have enjoyable conversations, talking, learning about each other. And let's keep the conversation going. Let's yeah. not be afraid. Dialogue is the way forward. Perfect. I was going to say this um, and I know like Sandra's not I mean like I'm not she hasn't paid me to plug it at all but if anybody <laughs> does need a starter for 10 as well like obviously you've got the tea care um, team who um, on our website we've got a whole heap of information and hopefully the podcasts that you all listen to are useful as well but also on the race at work charter if you just wanted a starting point the seven commitments which actually was five commitments and now seven to include things like allyship is a really good start for 10 with some really good research behind it so you know go away and sign it thank you Anushka <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So um, thank you guys. So I'll do the usual. Please, please subscribe to the channel. Um, we've got a bunch of content that's going to be coming out for 2023. Um, at the point of recording, it is Christmas. So do have um, a good Christmas and please enjoy your new year, but not too much. Um, <laughs> always always someone who goes too far um but yeah no please please do enjoy the time you have with your family enjoy all your festivities um you can listen to this podcast to our podcast on spotify you can listen to the podcast on youtube if you want to see a full list of them you've got that on spotify and also on our website as well um and please yeah share it with a friend share it with a colleague even take this and have a conversation with people within your team because what we want to do is create dialogue and create conversation that's going to propel us in the right direction, not just as individuals, but also as businesses and also as people being part of communities. So thank you so much for listening. And that's, that's all we've got time for today and look forward to having you tune into the next one. So take care and thank you very much. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to hearing your thoughts. So please continue the dialogue on socials. To stay updated on when we release the next episode, follow us on LinkedIn and on Twitter at TC4RE. And don't forget to check our website at www.tcare.org for more information and content on today's topics.